Welcome aboard. It's time to grab your board, swim out into that sea of ideas, and see if you can't see that sales pipeline curling up over the horizon there with the man who's been out, uh, I think he was out surfing this morning here, uh, Matt Hines. Uh, I was not, uh, <laughs> but uh, that sounds kind of nice, actually. Yeah, could be. Well, today, um, what sounds nice to me is you're going to talk about lessons from 20 years of sales development. I didn't know you were around for 20 years. I, I have not. I'm not even 20 years old myself right now. But, <laughs> That's uh, what I thought, yeah. Right. So, uh, no, I'm kidding. So, we we are very excited to have our guest here today. I, I am. I will admit I'm a little distracted as we record this. I realize we have uh, we have guests joining us live on the Funnel Media Radio Network. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for taking a break from watching the Masters. I don't know if anyone else is watching the Masters. I'm watching the Masters right now. I'm listening to the two Masters. I forget oh, about the golf yeah. Masters. Paul, you're a little you're a little over the top today. It's pretty impressive. <laughs> um, no, I think the um, the Masters Golf Tournament down in Augusta, Georgia, is uh, is one of my favorite sporting events of the year. And honestly, they could show they could show the tournament without the players. Just show the grounds. It is one of the most beautiful. It is absolutely the most beautiful golf course I've ever seen. Rivals many you know botanical gardens. I think that may exist around as well. It's just it's so much fun to watch. It's such an interesting tournament. And our our guest today doesn't live that far away. So maybe talk a little Masters today with our guest Dan McDade but uh, first thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Sales Pipeline Radio if you're joining us on the uh, podcast thanks so much for subscribing and you can get every episode of Sales Pipeline Radio past, present and future always at salespipelineradio.com we are featuring some of the best and brightest minds in B2B sales and marketing today is absolutely no different. Uh, Dan McDade, I have known for a very long time. He has been a client. He's been a partner. He's been a friend. He's been a mentor. Uh, whether he knows it or not, he's been a mentor to me. Just the way that he goes about his business, his knowledge of B2B sales, uh, and just the way he does it, the, the way he does it nice, the way I think he does it the right way. Dan McDade, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, great to be with you, Matt. Thanks. Thank you. So uh, let's let's first talk about the Masters. Uh, you 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 um your your business is outside of Atlanta. I know you're living in South Carolina now. Um, have you been to Augusta? Is that something you've done in your in your past? I have never been to Augusta. I've been offered tickets before, and it just didn't work out. But you know, I'm kind of with you in that it's uh, so fun to watch it on the television because um, it's just a beautiful place. And and the other thing to kind of point out is that this year. They had the women's college championship out there at Augusta National just this last week. So it's been an exciting couple of weeks for uh, golf sporting events here in the Atlanta area as well as in South Carolina. Yeah, I love that. I, I always feel like, you know, the Masters Tournament comes around. It's sort of the official beginning of spring. They've got, you know, the azaleas and all the flowers and all the blooms all around the golf course and just such a gorgeous, gorgeous place. So, yes, I'm a little distracted by the Bastards today, but let's talk about um, sales development. I think 20 years, um, I know, is an understatement because you've been doing sales and marketing for longer than that. I'm not calling you old, Dan. I'm just saying, like, you've got, you've, you've amassed a, a healthy amount of experience and seen a lot of change as well. I'm just curious to, to get your perspective on, you know, having seen sales and marketing uh, develop. What are things that have changed? But what are some things that might be universal that uh, that worked well, you know, when you first got started that, that people would be well positioned to, to take advantage of today as well? Well, you know, I think comparing and contrasting 20 years ago, um, 20 years ago, there were a lot fewer solutions on the market. There was a lot less information available about those solutions, and there was, I think, comparatively more opportunity. I say that because there were fewer solutions and there was enough companies that a sales rep could go in 
with a credible product or even some not credible products and be pretty successful in sales where, you know, today there's a ton of solutions out there. There's all kinds of information that's available and maybe proportionally less opportunities when you have something in the neighborhood of 7,040 marketing enablement solutions out there. It's Mm -hmm. a pretty crowded space. And uh, I think that um, my, my, my frank assessment, and it's based on the numbers that you see, is that the sales skills have not kept up with the need for those for better skills are we too focused now on technology as a bridge to uh, to gap to, as a bridge over those skills i mean I, I wonder just based on what you're saying do are we are we do we see organizations put so much focus on automation and systems uh, that when it comes to having that personal conversation and, and sort of leveraging the people part that we're, we're under investing there does that sound fair I do think it's fair. I think that there's a real focus, and I would place this more on marketing than on sales, but there's a real focus on the technology stack, and companies are spending more and more on that technology stack. And to some extent, they're automating bad processes. And I, you know, I'm not the first person probably that said that to you, and I'm sure you've said that to audiences too. But, um, you know, a lot of times what I say is, is that, you know, the current solutions out there, the technology solutions make it easier to get more bad leads faster to sales than ever before. And, you know, unfortunately that's true. And, and what happens is that fewer and fewer of those leads are actually followed up by sales. And sure, marketing can check the box and say, I generated X number of leads for Y budget. But if they're not converting, you know, and there's no alignment, then it's kind of a waste of time and money. Uh, you've been, you know, you were uh, president CEO of Point Clear for over 20 years and so saw a lot of this development happen. Can you talk a little bit about sort of your approach to, I guess, you know, whether I know you would call it an appointment setting or approach to sort of demand generation for sales organizations? And there's a lot of people that are trying to do that internally and externally and, and, and struggling today for a variety of reasons. What are some of the keys to doing that well? What are some of the keys that made Point Clear so successful and continue to be so successful in, in engaging with prospects and helping to build some pipeline? I've always said that it's not rocket science, but there's a lot of moving parts and there's some IP that I think it's difficult to replicate, especially on a smaller basis in in many companies. Um, And, and, you know, you had a recent podcast with some serious decision folks on, and they talked about some of the same things. I would say that in in my mind, there are really four things. One is what I refer to as an agreed upon lead definition. And as you know, simple as that sounds, and as long as we've been talking about it, sales and marketing uh, really don't see eye to eye on what the definition of a lead is. As a matter of fact, on the Serious Decisions uh, podcast, they talked about marketing feeling like leads are you know defined very loosely and they're very top of the funnel, and, and sales isn't so happy about that. You know, so I think the very first thing is to make sure that there's a, a an agreed upon lead definition. The second thing, which was also the subject of a podcast of yours, is the total addressable market. And it's interesting because that's such an old concept that it seems to have new life. I think we'll be, that's one of those things that the zeitgeist is going to bring back this year. Um, and, and there's also a lot of discussion about, well, is the total addressable market the right phrase, or is it really the total obtainable market, or the serviceable obtainable market? And, you know, the reality in my mind is it doesn't really matter what you call it. The total addressable market is the market that you want to sell to. And a caveat there is, is that most companies, you know, prospect too broadly. So one of the things I talk to uh, clients about is, 
And it's a simplistic example is if you had $10 and you had 10 prospects, would you rather spend $1 on each of the 10 prospects or would you rather spend $2 on five of the prospects? And assuming you could identify the five best prospects, then, you know, you would really much rather spend more of your budget on those five prospects than on the, you know, spending less money on 10 prospects. So that, that's an oversimplified example, but I think it's really important. Um, and then it's not enough to have a, a total addressable market. You have to segment that market. And I think companies are woefully behind in segmentation. And, and the easiest example in my mind of segmentation is if you have a thousand companies and they're, they're your targets and you break them down into five different groups. Well, if you, if you didn't break them down into five different groups to make the math easy, let's say there was a 5% lead rate on whatever you were doing, you'd generate 50 leads. But let's say you broke it down into five groups of 200 with the top group performing at 9% and the bottom group performing at 1%, then you could draw the line and focus your efforts on the what I call the less expensive barrels of oil as opposed to the more expensive barrels of oil. That allows you to, you know, really uh, spend your your money. And a lot of people say, well, isn't that what account-based marketing is about? And that's partially what account-based marketing is about, but it's really more basic. It's, it's, you know, how do you target and then segment and focus your efforts on the most um, valuable market? And then lastly, and I think this is really the unsung hero, is that I, I really don't think a lot of companies know what nurturing is. You know, how do you take the output or an outcome of the telephone call or a voicemail or a cadence with multiple calls and multiple emails and multiple voicemails. You know, how do you take that and take the information and then recycle it back in so that you can take advantage of what you've learned, you know, either from a, a qualification standpoint or from a technology environment standpoint. So those are, to me, those are the, the five things that I look at that would make the most difference today in, in many companies. Getting a little bit of a master class here in sales pipeline development from Dan McDade, who's uh, been doing it for a long time, president and CEO of Point Clear, and now a managing partner of Prospect Experience. And I want to make sure we talk about that uh, quite a bit as well. And I think you know you 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 use a lot of math in your um, in in how you teach people to think about pipeline management. And I think um, you know we see marketers do a lot of that, but on the sales side, you know historically it's it seems to be more you know you say this isn't rocket science, but I think people. Um, you know, treat it even more simply than that. Why is it so hard for organizations to really focus on the math that matters? Why do companies st still so focus so much on volume at the top, lead gen at the top, getting appointments from uh, prospects as, as opposed to thinking about the most, uh, maybe most efficient uh, way of, of building pipeline? You know, I think it comes down to, and I've written a little bit about this, I think it comes down to that CEOs or senior executives kind of, their their eyes kind of gloss over when you start talking about databases and segmentation and market segments and even personas to some extent. So, you know, part of it is that, that the executives don't get bought in to doing the right things, um, you know, when it comes to prospecting. I think the other thing is from a customer or from a prospect experience standpoint, and it's prospect-experience.com is the website. But, you know, what I look at is that there's just all kinds of articles and blogs and videos and everything written about the customer experience. But before you can have a customer, you actually have to have prospects and convert them to customers. And I think the prospect experience in many cases is just abysmal. You know, the prospect experience includes uh, appointment setting, you know, pushy appointment setters, basically setting appointments at any cost. 
not necessarily with regard to what the value of those appointments are to sales. And that becomes a very expensive process because the appointments themselves aren't that cheap. And if, you know, three out of five of them aren't really worth following up, then it becomes very expensive. You know, the second thing is you find is you have junior telemarketers reading from scripts, you know, following a cadence that might be provided by some technology solution, you know, without really the kind of experience that they need and the background they need to really have quality conversations at the right level. You know, finally, and, and you might see all three of these, you know, poor prospect experiences occur. Finally, you've got, you know, a barrage of email that's coming across your desk, and some of them are personalized, but I always use the example of somebody contacts me and says, hey, go Wolfpack, I see you went to NC State. And, you know, that doesn't really impress me that much. I know that's on my LinkedIn profile. You know, what would impress me, especially with, you know, companies selling lead generation to me, it would impress me if they actually knew what I was doing and, and what I was, um, you know, what I was selling before they tried to sell me the services that I offered. Well, there's something to be said for not asking your customers what keeps them up at night, but telling them what should keep them up at night and having a more interesting conversation, not just based on where you went to school or whether you're raising chickens in your backyard, but really sort of introducing insights. How much of that is 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 key to sort of creating that prospect experience? And I want to talk more about sort of the business prospect dash experience.com that you're focused on. But, you know, if you can think about having a conversation with someone that isn't about your product or service yet and, and, and engaging in a discussion with a prospect where when they hang up the phone, they're willing, you know, they think to themselves, well, I would, I would have been willing to pay for that insight. I would have been willing to pay for the, for the value that I just got. That is a higher bar than just saying, thanks for downloading the white paper. Would you like to see a demo? Um, but I want to talk more about uh, that prospect experience when we come back from the break. we got to take a quick break pay some bills. We'll be back more with Dan McDade. We're going to be talking about the concept of the prospect experience, not just the customer experience, but the experience your prospect has to acquire them in the first place, why that's important to focus on and what components lead to a better process experience. We'll be right back on Sales Pipeline Radio. The way we do business is advancing faster than ever before. Yet amongst the disruptions, there's one pillar that stays standing through it all, the power of a relationship. Relationships are at the core of everything. So how are today's organizations developing, nurturing, and leveraging them to drive success? Join Matt Hines and Sigster's VP of Marketing, Justin Keller, for the on-demand webinar, The State of Relationship Marketing, and learn how your team can bridge the gaps between relationships and revenue. Listen now at HinesMarketing.com. That's H-E-I-N-Z Marketing.com. Okay, back to uh, Matt and Dade as they, Dade, McDade, Dan McDade as they play the back nine. I was trying to be clever here and I stumbled over my words here. That's right. I think you got so excited about the golf reference there that it uh, fell down. That's all right. Uh, well, you know, it's uh, day one of the Masters. The leaderboard looks weird because there's a lot of guys that haven't even started playing yet. But, man, what a beautiful course. And uh, excited to continue our conversation today with Dan McDade. He is a longtime sales and marketing uh, thought leader, currently the managing partner of Prospect Experience. So let's talk about um, this concept of prospect experience, because I've never heard someone describe it this way. And as soon as you start thinking about the, the, the idea of creating an experience for your prospect, it makes just so much sense. How did this come to be for you? You know, what, what kind of led you to kind of put a focus here after, you know, 21 plus years of running Point Claire? This is a, a bit of a different, similar uh, in vain, but different direction. What led to this? I guess it was frustration um, and also looking for what I considered a market niche that was underserved. 
So again, you read every day you read something about CX or customer experience and, you know, the prospect is being totally ignored. And I feel like prospects are just really dumped on. And how do you, you said it just a couple minutes ago, Matt, how do you basically take you starting the relationship wrong and then converting that to a client that, that becomes an advocate for your services or your solution? So really it was, it was looking at the market and, and saying, you know, gosh, these marketing departments, even though they're trying to personalize, you know, they're trying to create insights. I mean, everybody's talking about that. You know, they're trying to use artificial intelligence, which I, you know, so we could spend a whole 30 minutes on that. But, you know, they're, they're failing, I think, to impress the, the market. And I know that you probably suffer from the same thing. I get, you know, probably 150 emails a day. And of the 150 emails, they're, you know, most of them are just totally sense. I mean, I'm not a prospect for what they're offering, not even close. So, you know, just as a matter of treating the prospect market with respect. And the other thing is, is it makes good financial sense. You know, if you are prospecting too broadly, then you're wasting a lot of the money that could be spent on the core prospects and you're spending it on, you know, those who will never convert. I mean, we have one client in particular who was with two big IT services firms. And in one case, he had identified 1,200 total prospects. That those are the, all of, that's all he wanted to sell to with those 1,200 prospects. And he went with a larger company and now his target market is 5,000 prospects, but he is just relentless. And marketing to those, you know, key prospects. Well, there's probably ten or fifteen thousand companies out there they theoretically could sell to, but he recognizes that he needs to sell to the five thousand best ones and spend all of his budget there. Well, as you as you put a greater focus on a narrower audience, it allows your message to get better, allows you to get to know their needs better, and have more relevant conversations. Uh, I encourage people to check out what Dan's doing now, prospect-experience.com, and, and you talk about the, the, the 12-point prospect experience transformation to understand what's working, what's not, and what people need to do better. What what can people what can people see in that you know, what that uh, 12-point process? What are a couple that are a couple points that are particularly important? Well. I think there's a there's a few things. One is um, under each of these twelve points, there's a description of exactly what we're looking for, looking at. And uh, some people have told us we have too much copy on the homepage, but you know we're trying to present almost a placemat of twelve things that we think that if you looked at these twelve things deeper, that you could do much better with your prospecting. So um, you know things like uh, defensible or defendable differentiators. I don't think companies spend near enough time on that. You know, they, they have an opening statement. They have a transition statement. They've got some questions that they ask. Like, you know, one of the questions that you see all the time is, well, tell me the two or three initiatives or priorities that are important to you this next year. You know, companies don't want to hear that anymore. They don't want to hear what, you know, they don't want to have to talk about what keeps them awake at night. As you said just a few minutes ago, you know, they want that conversation to be valuable. Well, how do you, how do you have some defendable differentiators? And companies, I don't really think spend enough time on that. Uh, you know, the the um, the multi-cycle um, nurture process. We talk about there being. We used to refer to it as multi-touch, multimedia, multi-cycle processes to multiply results. And then a company came along that we actually worked closely with for years, and they came up with the term cadence. And you know, so we've adapted. We've adopted cadence as our description of that multi-touch, multimedia, multi-cycle. But um, if you take a look at the cadence that's created by most companies, they're, they're not persistent and frequently not professional in the way that they go about that cadence. So I say every, every call matters, every voicemail matters, and every email matters, which, by the way, a totally different subject, but we get a very, very high 
number of leads, about 50% of our leads come from voicemails and emails. Voicemails and emails are incredibly important to us. But, you know, looking at that multi-cycle nurture process, I, I have in, in one of the blogs on the prospect-experience.com site talks about nurturing, and there's a table in there about how with the effective nurturing, you can actually triple the results of most marketing campaigns. Most companies are leaving about two-thirds of the opportunity basically on the cutting room floor because they don't effectively nurture. Just a couple more minutes here with Dan McDade. Uh, thanks. We really appreciate his time and insights today. He is the managing partner of Prospect Experience. That's prospect-experience.com. Check it out. Learn a little more about what he's doing and his uh, his Prospect Experience transformation process. Dan, we uh, kind of wrap up a little bit here. I want to ask you about to, to, to share some of the the people that may have had an impact on your business that other people should check out as well. You know, they could be authors, they could be speakers, they could be alive or dead. They could be uh, professors or former managers, even clients. Like how do you, uh, who are some people that you, that stand out to you that have been really influential in your learning that you might recommend other people check out as well? Well, one of them, he's gone and he didn't do an awful lot of writing, but he was a very influential boss and he had an expression that I always was, thought was great when it came to people, and he said, you can't put in what God left out, which I always thought was a great expression. You know, I I didn't really know that much about John Miller when he was at Marketo. As a matter of fact, I was seen in the marketplace as kind of railing against marketing automation, so probably wasn't viewed as a a fan. But I think that what I've read about him and what I've seen with Engagio since, um, I think he's he did a great job of outlining what ABM should look like. And there's so much out there that's IP-based marketing, and it's not ABM at all. And then the other shout-out that I'll make, you know, I, I, this is a guy who I think is a just a wonderful writer and a fantastic speaker. That's Mike Weinberg. He has two books out. One is New Sales Simplified, and the second one is Sales Management Simplified. I think they're probably two of the best books on sales, including Inside Sales or SDRs. I think they're two of the best that are on the market right now. I love that. Yeah, I love all of Mike Weinberg stuff. I think they've got their uh, outbound conference coming up here next week or two, I believe, yeah, and yeah, uh, definitely yeah. you got to watch. I, what I like about guys like Mike Weinberg and Jeb Blount and others is it's not the, what they're doing, what they're saying is not trendy. And one of my questions to you early on was, you know, the things that are different now that are opportunities for salespeople versus the things that are really kind of universal, uh, the things that sort of transcend tools and apps and social this and I, AI that. How important is it for for salespeople, but also marketers, to really kind of go back to the classics? I mean, you got the modern people like Mike Weinberg. Then you've got you know you've got the Jeffrey Gittimers. You've got the, uh, the the Zig Ziglers of the world. How important is it to to continue to gain that knowledge? And who are some of the other people that maybe you know from a from a sales fundamental standpoint you recommend people check out? Great, great question, Matt. And um, I can kind of summarize that by saying that if you look back over the last 10 years or even maybe 12 years, you went from it was a very outbound-focused environment to a very inbound-focused environment where outbound is dead, cold calling is dead, that kind of thing, to what I now refer to and you and I have talked about as an all-bound you know, environment. And I, I read just recently something that was I thought was really good. You know, Trish Bertuzzi at the Bridge Group, who I know you're a fan of too, was writing about that. It, it's been about three years ago now that that tide turned from the inside focus to the outside focus. I think that the warning 
to marketers is is that you know that the the market has changed again, and there's more emphasis on outbound than there is on inbound, and that's because you can't drive the revenue that you need if you just simply focus on them coming to you. Mm-hmm. So I, my my suggestion is that you know take a look at outbound. Don't be so focused on the technology. Don't be so focused on the stack. Don't be focused on lead scoring because, you know, not every senior executive wants to be treated like the human equivalent of a pinball, only getting your attention when they hit the right bumpers and scored enough points. And that's basically the definition of marketing automation. If you have a senior executive, they're not going to score high, which means they're not going to get your attention, which means the competitor is going to win some of the best prospects and best opportunities out there. So that's, um, I, I hope that answers the question. Those are my, my senses of things. Yeah, I, I think that that helps a lot. I think that um, a lot of what you're describing in terms of inside versus outside sales and you're talking about, um, you know, so the way we think about leads and bound and outbound, I mean, all important considerations, but those are all internal constructs. Those are all things that, right. you know, we decide are the ways that we want to manage the the the, uh, the the journey. And I think it, it's really easy to ignore and or forget that the prospect is really in charge, that the buying journey is more important than the sales process. And if you can line those in a way that, you know, you know, that respects the prospect, respects the buyer, respects what their, where their position is, um, you can be a guide, you know, in the challenger sale model, you know, teach, tailor, take control. You can be pushy once you understand and are advocating for the customer's objectives. Um, but I think it's really important to make sure that you, that you're taking the buyer centric way of building out your sales process and your internal constructs even as those change a little bit. Yep, I, I can't, can't agree more. Awesome. Well, we are unfortunately out of time. I want to thank our guest, Dan McDade, for joining us today. If you want to learn more about the Prospect Experience, check out prospect-experience.com. We will be back next week and every week Thursdays at 11.30 Pacific, 2.30 Eastern. We are here live on the Funnel Media Radio Network. Thank you so much for joining us. Until next week, for my great producer, Paul, down there in the uh, in the Southern California, uh, so playing, playing some golf, watching some golf. Hope you enjoy the Masters. Thanks for joining us today on Sales Pipeline Radio. We're swinging along right here on Sales Pipeline Radio, right here in the Funnel Radio Network for at-work listeners like you. 